Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. This is uh, episode 37. Yeah, number 37. Um, what's been up, Parker? Uh, quite a bit, actually, at Macrofab. We're gearing up for the move. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be moving at the end of this uh, month, October. Right. Last Friday is move day, right before Halloween. Mm-hmm. So we've basically been getting rid of... Uh, you know, stuff that we haven't used in a long time, uh, pack, starting to pack stuff up, organize stuff for the movers. It's getting pretty crazy. Yeah, <laughs> purging all the trash. Yeah, yeah, getting rid of everything. Um, we're actually starting to chop up all our old shipping crates. because so we have like an, basically like the entire like on-ramp that the movers are going to use is filled with shipping crates. So we got to <laughs> chop all that stuff up and throw it in the dumpster. So that's all next week. Yep. Um. I was working on last week a fixture for the selective solder to hold a big panel right. and prevent it from basically sagging under its own weight and uh, basically uh, like messing up the Z height on the machine because it doesn't have a laser. So like when the nozzle's underneath it, it doesn't know that the board is sagging down. Like the right. uh, the My 500, which is the pace jetter, and the My 200 have actually optical laser measuring. Mm-hmm. And so they can actually know if the board is slightly warped. With select solder, it doesn't. So you kind of have to make sure the board is completely level. I guess that's actually a better solution than this jig is to add like optical leveling to the select solder. Uh, that would be a pain. It'd be cool. It'd be super cool. Lasers. It'd be super lasers. <laughs> but yeah, well, because the uh, selective solder is a bottom feed. Yeah, uh, it's a bottom feed. You have to have the entire panel open. On the bottom, on yeah, the bottom. and so you have to suspend it from the top, and right. so my solution is basically a big open aluminum frame that the panel sits in, and then a arch support that goes over it mm-hmm. with a magnet that you basically put underneath the bottom, and it sucks it to the arch. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it's 16 inches of FR4 that has random cutouts and all kinds and of... And V-scoring. You can't be guaranteed that yeah. it's going to be stiff in any direction. Yep. So. so, yeah, that's what, you know, that... that Fixture is designed. It's actually most of it's put together now. So I'm actually going to start testing it next week. Awesome. Make sure that, you know, that the magnet actually holds all of the parts because it's got only about 11 pounds of holding force. So it might not be enough. Mm. It should be enough. And then in the same vein, I've been working on the OATB, which is the <laughs> Optical Alignment Test Board. O-A-T-B. Yeah, the OATB. OATB. Yeah. Um, so what is that? So we talked about this earlier, um, a couple of podcasts ago. Basically, it's a giant 16 by 16 panel that's got measurements in um, metric and imperial. Because mm-hmm. we actually, since we're an American company, we have to deal with imperial a lot. Mm-hmm. But our machines are Swedish, so they're metric. I think they're Swedish. Micronic is Swedish. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Swedish engineering. Precision. <laughs> Not a watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so basically it's a, uh, for alignment of, uh, camera systems so that when we finally start getting to the same machine, the, the software end of that, we can actually test to make sure our our software is working well. Right. Right. And so it's a full 16 by 16 panel with all kinds of packages and markings Markings, and and all everything it's going to need to look at. Yeah. It's got through hole, uh, plated through hole, non-plated through hole. Uh, trace widths of different, you know, thicknesses. Mm. It's actually a, a um, 
it's actually a panel too to also test to see how well Jet reproduces. Jet's our PCB manufacturer. How well they reproduce this giant panel. <laughs> and so it's going to have silk screen and all that stuff. Yeah, on it. yeah. I mean, that's a lot of real estate to play with. Yeah. Especially if you use both sides. Uh, I'm actually going to use one side. Okay. So I'm going to have the other side all copper to increase rigidity. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's going to be a stiff, heavy board. Yeah, it's going to weigh a lot. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then I've been working on the Fantastic Air real-time tester. Uh, I'll <laughs> let you all figure out what that means. Uh, I'm using a uh, Adafruit light tower. Yeah. So a light tower is basically a... It's, it's similar to what we have on our machines. It's a, basically a... a an indicator light that has red, yellow, and and uh, green on it, and depending on the air quality that this thing's measuring, it'll light up different colors. Um, and I've been looking at. I'm going to probably use the Mac Arduino. Yeah. And then build a shield that plugs in. It'll use the. Uh, I'm thinking about using the IAQ. No. I yeah. IAQ Core. What, what's that? Chip. Which is a air quality for VOC measurements. Oh, okay. And it'll have like a light sensor and that kind of stuff. Is it is it digital or does it spit out like a voltage it's based I2C. off of I squared C? So it gives yep. you some kind of reading of quality level. Yeah, it, it, it has a best guess of VOC quality. But like, what does it actually give you? Like a zero to one hundred percent or something like that? No, it's it's a PPM. Oh, okay, okay. PPM of bad stuff. Yeah, and it also measures CO2, I think. Yes, it does. Measures CO2. Problem is this part's $35. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found some cheaper parts. Uh, Cambridge Cambridge CMOS sensors. CCS. They have a co- part called the 811, which is actually, we talked about that sensor on uh, two or three podcasts ago when the Silicon Labs came out with their Thunderboard. This part is on the Thunderboard. Right. And the fact that the Thunderboard's $30 means that chip is less than $30. Or they're subsidizing the snot out of it. Maybe, but that's a that's a huge... Basically, that chip's free. Right, right. <laughs> um, it actually might be worth to buy Thunderboards and desolder that part and put it on our board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, um, it seems like this air quality thing. Par- Parker brought in a package into the oh, uh, yeah. into the, the the podcast today. Uh, what is it? It's a air filter. It's a it's an inline air filter for uh, like cars and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You just got the package today. right? Today. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's made out of uh, carbon fiber and stuff. Open it up and that the resin in that thing is just like VOC everywhere. It's just <laughs> it, terrible. It smells like gasoline and paint mixed in here yeah. right now. So that 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 sensor would be going nuts. Yes, six five five three five. Yep. So yeah, that's that's projects I've been working on. Cool. So um, last week uh, I talked a little bit about the eighty ninety eight thirty three, which is a um, function generator IC. It's about ten bucks, so it's not really that cheap. But I was talking about using that in a uh, in a little synth project I've been working on, uh, and I was able to throw it all together, and it is killer. This yep. thing is absolutely awesome. So, so I used a uh, well, it's, Arduino. It's so awesome that our scope can't figure out if it's bad or not because <laughs> we got a cheap scope. <laughs> it's it's an okay scope, but it's it's an Owen. It, it works. It, it it works. Well, okay. So for most of my testing, I'm using an old Tektronic uh, green screen scope. Yeah. Uh, and so it has it has like time cursors, 
Yeah. But in terms of measuring frequency, it, you so can't do anything. I, I did it all by ear because my ear <laughs> my ear is better than measuring the the time frequency on on my scope. Uh, I just had YouTube play like here's 440 hertz, and I tuned my my frequency oscillator until it's yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, and actually, this thing has pretty great um, uh, tuning and tracking. So so it it accepts a zero to five volt signal. Uh, zero being 13.75 hertz and five volts being 1,000 or 14,080 hertz. Uh, and if you chunk that out into octaves, that's half a volt for every octave, and it's an exponential curve uh, across there. And uh, it actually works really well. So every every 500 millivolts you add, it it goes up a volt, uh, goes up an octave. And in other words, every 41.666 Millivolts increases Repeating, one note. Repeating, uh, Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, that actually works uh, really well. Um, so I'm just using basically an Arduino as a master commander controller. But I found, a, uh, I found an interesting kind of, it's not a bug, but it's uh, a caveat with, with Arduino. Feature. Uh, sort of. <laughs> Arduino's great for, like, you just cast a variable as a float and it's just like all right great it's a float we can we can deal with this but the uh, the exponential functions that i was having it calculate i had it out to like 20 decimal places or something stupid <laughs> like that and uh, uh arduino will only do six to seven it's sort of kind of up in the air uh on which <laughs> when it which feels like do. it <laughs> so so in order to tune my my circuit i wasn't adding offsets i was literally changing the coefficient of the ah. exponential until it had good tracking, which worked. I needed seven decimal places to have good enough tracking, and it worked with seven. The eighth was kind of like, nope, I'm not doing this. <laughs> so it worked. Um, I need to throw together a schematic because I hope to make like a small PCB um, that just, like, you know the, uh, the, the uh, small Arduinos that are just like a breakout board? Yeah. I want this to be a breakout board, but it's all a sawtooth generator that you can plug into a breadboard, and you have a sawtooth generator with a uh, half a volt uh, per octave tracking. Cool. So, should be cool. Yeah. Um, also, I've been... Um, You've been on the fixture train as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been designing a strip feeder for our My 200 uh, um, pick-and-place machine. So, uh, basically, we have a... Uh, most of the parts are placed with reels on tape, but a lot of times we have little chunks of tape that are like eight pieces long if or that. even less. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they're like five pieces long. And that's not long enough for us to load properly in the machine. Yep. So, so usually I'm, we have to hand place them. Right. Um, but if we can have a fixture that holds the tape, we can just apply an XY and uh, a pitch offset and the machine will know where it is and it can go pick up all those places. And most of the reason why we can't do that small is because we have to have some parts that get thrown away, basically, yep. by the machine. Uh, so I have a little tray that holds all the strips, um, and you can clamp them in, and it can do 8, 12, 16, and 24 millimeter uh, strips. You just kind of put it on this tray, screw it down, and put it on our tray wagon, and bam, there you go. You now have access to any quantity of parts, basically. Yeah, it goes on the... Um the tray wagon is basically yeah. where all like parts that are in trays sit in. 
Right, right. Yeah. So you might have a matrix of QFN chips or something like that, and they and that goes on the tray wagon, which is super cool. We need to we need to post a picture of the tray wagon. I think we need to post the video of that thing working. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We use it all the time. So yeah, the tray wagon is really cool because it's like because the um, the my the my two hundred is a really interesting design for a picking place because mm. it's not an XY gantry. Right. Um, the uh, the head only moves in one direction. I guess you would call that X. Yeah, you call Left that and right, X, basically. And that's and it passes over the board area, and the camera area, and the tray wagon, and all the parts. Yeah. And then the Y is actually controlled to where the board is sitting. So the board goes in the Y direction, moving. So think of that like a um, a. Uh, what kind of 3D printer? A Prusa-style 3D printer is like that. I guess the viewpoint would be if you're all over the machine looking down towards the ground. Yep. The head moves in the X, and, and the, the board, board moves, moves in the Y. y. Yeah. Um, and so the tray wagon actually moves in the Y as well. Right. So you can just put a matrix of parts on the tray wagon, and the tray wagon will move in the Y such that the head and the X will go and grab a part. Yep. Same with the strip feeder. The strip feeder will hold tape and move the tape basically in the Y, go grab parts, yep. everything's yeah, good. It's just an interesting design. Yeah. It, it's, it's really like if, you, if people out there know what a Prusa 3D printer, how it works, it has a X, which is the head, yeah. moving back and forth, and then the print on the bed moves in the Y. Right, the table actually yeah, moves. Yeah, the table actually moves. Yeah. It's just interesting. Um, yeah. Cool. And RFO. Yep. Um, so we've had uh, Scott Shawcroft on the podcast before. Right. He was with the uh, so he started Chickadee Tech, right? Like the uh, quadcopter controller stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it looks like he is now working for Adafruit. Awesome. Which is really cool. Way to go, Scott. Yeah, he had his first article come out over there for the Arduino Zero, I like basically like how to use it and how to do the debugging stuff on it. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, really cool. And it's a really well written uh, technical article. Oh, go check it out. Yeah. Um, another thing is, for some reason, we got in this argument on the EEV blog IRC channel mm. about notation on pins on, on, uh, basically chip, uh, like a chip, like a, uh, a 555 timer, mm-hmm. have different notation of pin definitions depending on who's making it. What? Yeah. So I actually started thinking about this and... I, I was trying to brainstorm what kind of chips multiple manufacturers make, and one is like the 74HC595 shift register. Well, all the 74 series yeah. is made a- by everyone. AV1, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I thought the 555 <clears throat> was fixed. I thought everyone made basically the same 555. Well, it's all the 555 timer, but it's how they label it in their schematic. Oh, I thought you were saying they, they brought the the, uh, the pins no, out to no, get the pins. No. That would be terrible. Yeah, it'd be terrible. Okay, okay. Um, so the labeling. The labeling of the pins are slightly different. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. I started looking at... The 595 is notorious for that. Yes, because... So I first I started looking up um, different manufacturers, and then I was like, oh, my God, a lot of people make this chip. Yeah. So there's... Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four... Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven manufacturers that I could find yeah. in a short Google search. A bunch of big guys: NXP, TI, OnSemi, ST, Philips, National Semi, all kinds of guys. Yeah, um, Toshiba and yeah. SGS Thompson microcontrollers. Who's that? No idea. Probably bought out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but next week we're going to come and all of those eleven have merged into one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
like National Semi, who was bought out by TI, it actually was really hard to find their data sheet. Oh, is the internet getting scrubbed? Oh, yeah, TI is scrubbing that thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so we get, like, Q7S for, like, the serial out pin. Okay. That's the pin I was really looking at. Sure. Is it different for most of these guys? Uh, there's some similar notations, but yeah. a lot of them are different. There's about four or five different ways to they write it. So, like, Q7S is NXBs. Uh, TI likes QH prime for some reason. Hmm. Um, on semi likes SQ lowercase h. There's, it's all over the map. That's why standards. Okay, so, so we need to make an IC company called Standards Inc. <laughs> standards <laughs> Inc. Standard, standardize all the seven four series and standardize all the chips. It'd be like that XKCD article where there's 14 standards. We need a new standard to standardize everything. Now there's 15 standards. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm 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 looking it up right now because I'm curious. Um, the 7400 series or the 7400 HC. Yeah. Uh, when did that come out? Because uh, I mean the 7400's been around forever. Uh, it's got to be uh, 70s, right? I don't know. It was before I was born. <laughs> it has always existed. Yeah, it's, it's just for you. It's always. I, I swear. Uh, it's like it's like the world was black and white before the fifties. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Cameras didn't get better. Okay, well, I don't want to waste time on this. I, I I thought Wikipedia had like a super article on the seventy four hundred series. No, but I I thought it was like okay. So I thought they came out in the in the seventies. You would think that they would have because. Here's the thing. All of these people didn't design it themselves. It's just copies after copies after copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would think that they would use the same nomenclature. This is going to be interesting. I want to try this. Um, is buy all these chips. Yeah. Decap them and see how much different they are. Hey, I, I, I bet you they just have different uh, manufacturers uh, written in metal on the die. Yeah. I want to see that. Someone out there do that. I don't have time to do it. <laughs> Someone decap 74HC595s. There's got to be decapping services out there, right? Yeah, there are. Yeah. I actually I think Seed Studio offers some. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember seeing that now. Yeah. Although, I mean, what's the If you're going to go through all the trouble, if you're setting yourself up to be like a reverse manufacturer of chips, you're not going to pay someone like Seed Studio to decap. I think it. it's more for hobbyists. Just hobbyists makers. and educational and having fun and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can always CNC the top of them off. Can your CNC have that resolution? Yeah. Sort of. Sort of? Chain drive? <laughs> my, my CNC will do ten thousandths of an inch. Your CNC is made out of plywood and chain and angle iron with bearings rolling on it. And? I guess it works. I've got, I've got it tuned pretty good. The, the tolerance ma- depends on the relative humidity of the shop. Well, okay. <laughs> it's made of MDO, so it's actually fairly stable. Uh, it's not asterisk. But here's the, but here's the thing: I calibrate it most of the times that I run it, yeah. so it's calibrated to the run. Yep. Uh, you're absolutely right. If I put it down and come back three months later, it's not gonna yeah, be calibrated right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we could we could decap them, but yeah, no, that, chip that, manufacturers that, that would be interesting. Chip manufacturers standardize your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, earlier this week, 
this guy named Mark Rittman. He, I think this is like IoT done right. So this is not us complaining about IoT. It's just something really cool. Someone took <laughs> that's a, a first. <laughs> yeah, that's first on the show. Um, he took the Amazon Echo. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, it's that like thing you can talk to and it like does stuff for you. Yeah, apparently yeah, yeah. it has a API calls that you can you know write to, mm-hmm. and you can. He basically made it so that when he asks it to make him a pot of tea, it turns on his tea kettle. That's cool. Yeah, that's like one of the first things I'm like, okay, I could see that finally being useful. What, just like a voice control command? Well, voice control command that turns on or turns off appliances. I mean, they've had this stuff before for, like, um, home automation, Mm -hmm. but it's always been, like, so proprietary. It's not been, like, open like this. I I mean, the Amazon Echo is still kind of closed, but at least you can, like, you can make it connect to something that the Amazon engineers never intended it to do. Sure, yeah. It sounds like it's a fairly decent uh, platform for hacking. Yeah, I think so, too. Cool. Cool. And then last on the list is there was a Reddit thread on uh, the ECE subreddit Mm -hmm. of my university banned Arduino for senior design. Good. (laughs) Good. I I agree entirely. I will say it's good and bad. How so? So the whole point about basically getting an engineering degree is learning how to do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the thing about Arduino is uh, all the libraries basically hide everything from you. Like digital write zero uh, high, I guess. Right, yeah. high, yeah, yeah. Um, basically, turn pin zero high. Right, and it's like one of those like, well, what actually is happening under the hood? It, is it holds your hands a lot. Yeah, and but it's also bad because. The hardware is fine. The AV, an AV, uh, AT Mega 328P, that's an okay microcontroller. Yep. Just program it with normal C and write your own libraries. You sound like an elitist. <laughs> but no, no, I actually agree with you on it. Uh, no, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm poking fun. No, no I, I completely agree because the, the point of things like senior design is to learn the hardware, learn the architecture, and learn how to morph and mold it to do what you need it to do. May- Make it so that when you flip that bit directly, the LED blinks. So I've got I've got a, a somewhat of a challenge for you. If that if 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 using the Arduino libraries is not acceptable, then should you be forced to do assembly? I think just doing C is fine. So so there's that kind of like a threshold in your mind. Yeah, I think because if yeah, you yeah. really want to know what's going on inside that thing, you program an assembly. Then you know what's going on inside that. Yeah, controller. Um, I'm, I always think that you should first learn assembly before mm-hmm. C for doing hardware design. Yeah, um, just because that teaches you that how, basically how registers and how does memory work, how does that stuff actually work is assembly. It gives you an appreciation for all the crap that needs to happen in order to accomplish one line of code. Yep, and. It, I think personally, it, it helps with um, writing efficient code, because you 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 have to write efficient assembly. Yeah, you have to write. Well, if you don't write efficient assembly, you'll be writing it forever. Basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I know, you know, to be honest, I think so. I think it's all right to use Arduino's in this kind of situation. 
but not for the final product. You can use Arduinos for prototyping up and do prove concepts. If you need to just slap something together that writes digital blah 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 and figure out how a chip works or something like that, great. That gives you that gets you instead of having to etch a board or do whatever and and just to figure out how to talk uh, or something like that. The Arduino is fantastic for that, but your final design shouldn't necessarily. Yeah, be I that. could see that. It's it, use the Arduino to figure out the like the, make sure your I square C protocols, like how to talk to that chip, mm-hmm. is correct, right. and then you'll write your I square C proto- or I square C driver yourself in C. Right. Okay. So if you've never done I squared C or SPI, learn on the Arduino, and then take it further. Yep. You know because. If you have to do it from scratch, it's it's not necessarily easy the very first time. Yeah. But Arduino will give you the success of just like, oh, I just type wire dot begin transfer or whatever it is, and I squared C just works. You know, <laughs> like or or it's a, or like I was actually dealing with SPI the other weekend with the Arduino, which is super easy. But you know. I didn't have to read the data sheet to see what mode it was. I just typed mode zero. It didn't work. Mode one. It didn't work. <laughs> mode two. It started working. I didn't have to fi- know what those modes were. It's just like I just ran through them until it did work. You know? You could take it even a step further where it could automatically try modes until and, it gets until, a, until it until receives, like it's a success. Yeah, that's true. You could. That's kind of gaming the system in a way. Eh, if you really want to be prototyping on the easy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What do you What do you think about it? Uh, I, like I said earlier, it's um. I think, I think for that level, I don't even think prototyping with Arduino is okay. Really? I think you should be writing C from the get go, uh, for this stuff. Uh, using the hardware is perfectly acceptable. I mean, it's a great hardware platform. Yeah. You can get other hardware stuff that plugs into it. All that stuff is great. Just don't use uh. Don't use uh, um, the software packages. Right. Use AVR Studio. Yeah, AVR Studio and and the 328P is yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you were in school, was this even an issue? Were there people trying to use Arduino's? Because I no. don't even remember at all anyone doing that. Because I went to school in, from 06 to 11. Yeah. And Arduino was coming out in what 2010. Um, uh, I don't remember the. Because we actually went from. We went from the uh, Freescale, Freescale, 9S12, or is it Fairchild? One of those two. It doesn't really matter. Um, and then we went to the MSP430 line. Mm. Basically, the MSP430 line pushed out the old 9S12 stuff, mm-hmm. and they replaced it with that. And then for our last couple of years, we moved to a uh, ARM platform by TI. Okay. That thing was freaking Haas, too. Yeah. Was it an ARM7? Uh, I don't remember. Is I can't remember what line it's from. So it's an S. For some reason, I was thinking Spartan, but it's not no, a Spartan. No, not Spartan. <laughs> but Spartan sixes was what we programmed in FPGA class. I think I did the same in mine. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had to do. I had to do a. Um, I'm a Altera guy at heart, so. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we had to do a turn signal project or something on an FPGA. We like had an to old do Corvette. that in, uh, on our 9S12 in, in assembly. 
Oh, that's, really? That project, yeah. Oh, that must have sucked. Yeah. <laughs> we, actually, the cool thing about that class was we had to design a robot in assembly in a 9S12. Really? Yeah, so the crazy thing is the uh, we didn't have a robot platform to put our code in. Mm-hmm. It was all simulated. I've got to find this stuff. Like, <laughs> where this has got to be online. This yeah. is a really cool project to do at Macrofab. Yeah. But you wrote your robot in assembly, and it simulated your robot... Like, there's registers you would hit that would, like, turn motors and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you, you would write a value to a register location, and that would be, like, the motor speed for left track. Oh, okay, so it was just a virtual machine. Yeah, yeah. A virtual robot. Virtual robot, yeah. Um, That's really cool. And so there was a competition at the end of the year. Yeah. And this competition was basically everyone's robots were plopped into a big area, I guess, of virtual space, <laughs> and they fought. A battle dome. And... We didn't have enough time to do any, like, like, do, because people were doing, like, like, looking for, ro- like, other robots and stuff. Really? Because you, you had, like, vision that you can, like, detect other people. Mm-hmm. And you could, like, do, people were doing, like, tracking and stuff so they could, like, shoot a projectile and hit them. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any time for that. So we just made our robots spin around and just shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we ended up coming in sixth place. Just like, from random fighting? Yeah, yeah, out of like 25 people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, wait, was this just something where they pressed go and then it printed out the results? I, I don't know. We weren't there for it. We, we they just it came in. in and said, you got sixth place. Yeah, we, well, you got we got our score at the end of the year. Yeah. Like, right before the final. And, and we got, we're sixth. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really cool project. Yeah, that, yeah. that should... There was, I bet you there was some grad student or some PhD student who had that to write that. all the back end for oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, w- I really hope it's online somewhere and yeah. I can go find it. Yeah, that would be cool. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's the end of the RFO section. Yeah. I think, yep. And that was good. Yeah. And so that's the, uh, the MacFab Engineering Podcast, episode 37. Mm-hmm. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, guys. Take it easy. On the next exciting episode of Macrofab Engineering Podcast, Trey German returns from flight testing his GPS tracker. Will he survive or go up in a cloud of blue smoke?